righty. Good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's good to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. And uh, first of all, I just want to say to you dads out there, happy Father's Day. It's a great day. Beautiful uh, Father's Day this morning. And it is such a blessing to have so many dads in the church who love Christ and love their kids well. I know I've benefited from the example of so many of you. And so uh, that is a, a great blessing. Um, but I just want to say on this Father's Day to you dads, don't waste the opportunity you have. Don't waste it. It goes by quickly. Uh, our oldest is 11 now, going into sixth grade next year. And I can still remember the day she was born. And uh, it just flies by. So don't waste the opportunity that you have, especially for those of you who have kids in the home. But even for those of you whose kids have grown up and are out of the house, there are so many opportunities that we have to lead our families well and to point them to Jesus. So take those opportunities and don't waste them. Uh, one of the things that we talk about in our house, we, I, I like to ask my kids, hey, well, what kind of people does God ask us to be? And they say, uh, if they're feeling up to it, humble, loving, faithful, and diligent. Humble, loving, faithful, and diligent. That's the kind of dads we want to be. Okay? We want to be humble. We want to receive correction and instruction and rebuke when we need it. We want to be loving. We want to always do all things out of a care for our kids. We want to be faithful, full of faith, trusting in God, the kind of people who are trustworthy. And we want to be diligent, always abounding in good works, always doing our very best, working hard. Okay, And it starts in the home. So those of you who are dads, continue uh, to look to Christ, look to our Heavenly Father as the ultimate example, and um, work hard. So... With that, I want to say to those of you who are visiting us, uh, we love to have visitors. It's, it's great to have visitors joining us. And one of the things that we're passionate about when people come and visit our church, we want to encourage you and point you to Jesus. Uh, but we also want you to know that our, our greatest desire is that you would be walking faithfully with the Lord. And a huge part of that is to actually join alongside other believers in walking with Christ. And so if you're new with us, uh, take a little bit of time today, do a little bit of work while you're here uh, to say hello, get to know a few people, stop by the Welcome Center on your way out, figure out how you can get connected uh, into the church. And like I said, it's, it's our belief that God's desires for believers to walk in fellowship with other believers, so don't waste the opportunity you have today uh, to take some steps towards that end. Um, today we've got a pretty big passage in Genesis 17, so we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to get it out, open up to Genesis chapter 17, or if you've got a scripture journal, that's great, open it up to Genesis 17. We're going to start our time this morning by reading the text, and then I'm going to pray with all of us today and lead us in prayer, and then we'll be into the Word so Genesis 17, we're starting in verse 9. We're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. And then, like I said, I'll, I'll lead us in prayer, and then we'll be on our way studying the text together. It says this in Genesis 17, verse 9. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant, which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house and one purchased with money from any foreigner. 
The one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house, as well as one purchased with money, must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. But God said, I'm sorry, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred year old man? Can Sarah, a 90 year old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. and You will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him. As an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He'll father 12 tribal leaders and will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac. Whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house or purchased with money, every male among the members of Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. All the men of his household, both slaves born in his house and those purchased with money from a foreigner. We're circumcised with him. That's our text. Okay, and normally I'd give us a few minutes here uh, to just pray with one another and, and, and lead each other's hearts to the Lord. But today, I'm going to invite you to just pray with me. Okay, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I would ask you to join with me as we seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for fathers that are here today that have God, just walked in your footsteps and been such a blessing, such an example, such a great blessing to their families as they have led, served, sacrificed, and prayed. God, we thank you, first and foremost, that you are our Heavenly Father, that you are the ultimate Father, God, faithful, diligent, loving, humble. God, thank you that you are our Savior indeed. That you have redeemed us and rescued us. God, we, we couldn't even hope to be reasonable fathers without your grace flowing through our lives, God. And Lord, we worship you today. Help us to worship you even more as we study your word. And we lift it up today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, like I said earlier, uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name's Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. And um, one of the great joys that I have in life is I get to be a husband to my wife, Jenna, and a father to our five kids. We've got four girls and one boy. And there's a lot of joys that I have in life. Uh, I love being part of the church. I love being in the family of God. I love sitting in the woods. I love catching big fish. I love watching golf. I don't know if that's normal, but I do. Uh, but really, nothing compares to just being with my family. And uh, this is a, a picture of the seven of us 
This is a recent picture. We got to spend a week in South Carolina uh, just a few weeks ago, and it was so good just to be together as a family, to spend time every morning worshiping God together, uh, to spend all day just staring at God's incredible creation, playing together. And nobody's got a perfect family. Uh, we, we have challenges just like everybody else in the world. Um, but part of being a husband and a dad is that I get to lay down my life for these people in a way that nobody else in the world does. It is such a blessing. I, I get to serve them, pray for them, forgive them, play with them, know them in, in ways that nobody else does. And that is such a joy. It's a sweet thing. Uh, and, and part of the reality of me being a dad and, and in particular, a husband, is that I, I don't just say that I'm a husband or say that I'm a dad. I also act like it. And beyond that, I don't just act like it. I am actually marked as a husband of one wife. Now, the, the sign itself that marks me as a husband, it doesn't create reality. But what it does is it communicates and corroborates the words that I say, the reality that already exists. You know, and if that sign that marks me as a husband was missing, I think people would rightly question, like, what's going on here? Are you really a husband of one wife? And that sign is this little black ring around my ring finger. There's not a single word on this bad boy, uh, but it says an awful lot, doesn't it? When you see it on someone's finger, you know this is a husband of one wife. And that's the symbols of the power to do. They don't create reality, but they communicate and they corroborate the reality that already exists, the words that we do say. And today in Genesis, God, he's coming to Abraham. He's affirming the promise that he has for him, these wonderful promises. But then he is giving him a sign to mark him as God's man, to communicate and to corroborate that this is God's man among God's people to mark him as God's man. And so just two points in our outline today, two big categories in the text. We'll see both of them in the word I trust is this. Number one, the son of the promise. We see God come and affirm his his promise to Abraham for the son. But then there's the sign of the covenant. And, and it's God marking his people as his people to communicate and to corroborate that which is already true. Okay? In both of these, these are like huge monumental issues in like the entire narrative of God's word. Uh, but we're going to try to tackle both today. We're going to do our very best to get through them both. Okay? So, first, we will look at the son of promise. And that comes to us in the middle of our text. Uh, and we're, So we're going to start kind of in the middle of our text. But that's okay. Because the whole situation is just one big scene. The whole situation is just one, one big scene. Scene that started back at the beginning of Genesis 17, verse 1. And if you remember, I just want to set the scene very briefly for you. Abraham is 99 years old here in Genesis 17. The last time we saw him, he was 86. Very end of Genesis 16. Abraham was 86. He had slept with Hagar, his wife's slave or servant, Hagar. She had gotten pregnant. They had a son named Ishmael. This whole mess... God then was silent between 
Abraham and God, there was silence for 13 years. We don't know a whole lot about how all this drama unfolded over that span. But then God came to Abraham at the beginning of Genesis 17. He breaks the silence. and He's so gracious in that. And he reaffirms his promise to Abraham. And then he gets very specific in our text today. Reaffirming his promise, but giving even greater clarity. It's like he's zooming in further. And that promise, that affirmation, it begins in verse 15. It says, God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for, her, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her, I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. God, he, he comes to Abraham, and, and remember, we, we're leaving behind all this drama that had taken place. Where Abraham, So Abraham had this promise that a son was going to come to him. But he and Sarah, they, they hatched this plan to take matters into their own hands, to, to kind of expedite the process of God fulfilling his promise. He ends up sleeping with Hagar, now God comes to Abraham 13 years later. He's like, no, Abraham, that's not what I meant. Like when I said I was going to bless you with a son, I meant with your wife. That should have been obvious. Apparently it wasn't. And he says, look, I'm, I'm going to bless you with a son through your wife. And her name, it'll no longer be. Sarai, her name will now be Sarah. It means princess. This is why if you ever hear me refer to my wife as Sarah, this is why I do it. No, I don't actually do that. But God, he's clarifying for Abraham's sake. And this passage, in a lot of ways, it parallels a lot of the first eight verses because he's doing the same thing. See, remember, he came to Abraham. He changed his identity. He said, no, no, no your name will no longer be Abram. It's Abraham. And then he confirms his covenant with him. He says, no, I'm still going to bless you with a son. Now he's doing the same thing, but he's making sure that there's clarity. He changes the identity of his, his wife. He says, no longer Sarai, but now Sarah, princess. And the son, he's actually going to come through her. I will bless her. Nations and kings will come from her. Now, this is, I don't know if any of you know my son, but this kind of reminds me of what it's like when you have a conversation with my son. You've got to be really careful with your words, okay? Because he is bound to take all of the liberties that he can. Like, he'll pay very close attention to your exact words that you use. And then he is bound to take every ounce of leeway that your words provide. And so I think what God is doing is with Abraham, he's like, Okay, my son, uh, you need to understand the guardrails. They're a little more narrow than what you were previously anticipating. Uh, the son is going to come through your own wife. So please stop sleeping with other women. The son of the promise is actually going to come to the one that you are married to. And then he goes on in verse 17. It says, Abraham, he fell face down. And he had already done that previously, early on. So it's like he, he apparently he stood back up. And now he falls face down again, and he laughs. He says, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? 
And you might wonder to yourself, like, why is Abraham laughing here? We, we don't know, uh, but I do have a theory. Uh, I think Abraham, he thought that a 90-year-old pregnant woman was kind of funny. And I, I agree. So Abraham said to God, listen to this. If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. God, if only this illegitimate son, who I broke my covenant with my wife in order to have, in order to conceive, if only he would do, if only he would satisfy. But God said, no. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son. Your wife is going to have a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him greatly. He'll father 12 tribal leaders. I'll make him a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And when he finished talking to him, God withdrew from Abraham. Now, just from the standpoint of of just like the overall overarching storyline of the Bible, this passage is absolutely monumental. Okay, we, we do need to understand what's going on here in the dialogue between God and Abraham and the promise for Isaac and really the, the ways that he says it's not coming through Ishmael. The promise is not flowing through Ishmael. This is a really big deal. Paul, later on, we're going to see in Galatians chapter 4, Paul takes this whole situation, he builds the gospel of grace on this foundation. He rejects gospel of works. He rejects kind of this this means of righteousness through the law and builds instead the gospel of grace through this very situation. He makes the case that, hey, this is like monumentally important, first order importance stuff right here between Isaac and Ishmael. one, One is the son of a promise who we need to be in If we are going to have salvation in life, the other is the son of a slave, the son of the flesh, where there is no life. Okay, and if this was the only text that we had that would kind of bring us into the conversation about Isaac and Ishmael, we would probably take all of our time today just drilling into this aspect of the text. However, uh, towards the end of the summer, we're going to be right back into text that, that gets us all the way back into Isaac Ishmael, the son of the promise, uh, the pointing to Christ, the lineage of Christ, and all of those sorts of things. And so for today, we're going to leave it relatively untouched. But the principle that I want us to see from this text, related to this piece of it where we've got Isaac and Ishmael and the son of the promise, is this. I want us to see the blessing of God's no. That's the principle that I want us to see in the word of God for this morning. It's the blessing of God's no. Like I said, there's going to be time for us to drill into much more of the theological foundation of Isaac, Ishmael, the son of the promise. But the big principle for today is the blessing of God's no. You see, when God came to Abraham, he promised him a son named Isaac. He said, your son Isaac is going to be born through Sarah. There's going to be blessing in life through that. And Abraham laughed, verse 17 and verse 18. So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael 
we're acceptable to you. He says, man, I already went through kind of all this hard work of parenting. If only Ishmael would just satisfy and suffice. But do you remember what Abraham's complaint to God was all the way back in Genesis chapter 15? I want to bring us back a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15. You see, God had delivered this huge military victory to Abraham. Remember, God had already come to Abraham, promised him a son and blessing through the offspring. Then God had delivered this big military victory to Abraham. And God came to Abraham afterwards, said, I'm going to be your shield. I will reward you greatly. And Abraham was like, oh, that's fine. But verse three, look, you have given me no offspring yet. So a slave born in my house is going to be the heir. An illegitimate son is going to be the one that this blessing flows through. That was his complaint against God. He just wanted a legitimate heir. And that's not who Ishmael is. Abraham broke his covenant with Sarah. He broke his covenant before the Lord. In order to produce this son, Ishmael, the son of a slave, not the son of the promise. He's illegitimate. And now he's like, you know what, God, never mind. I don't really care anymore. Can we just make do with this? Would that just satisfy you? And God says... No. No. We're not going to take shortcuts. We're not going to cheat. It doesn't work that way. That's a counterfeit. That, that is a fraud, Abraham. And the reason we're not going to do that, the reason that doesn't suffice, is there is no salvation coming through Ishmael. There is no life coming through Ishmael. There, there is no Savior coming through Ishmael. You want me to say yes to that? Well, that would be dooming all of humanity to death. You want me to say yes to that, Abraham? No. No. Genesis 17, verse 19. God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you'll name him Isaac. And you know who's coming through Isaac? The savior of the world. It's the greatest blessing That we have a heavenly father who stands up to us and says no when we need to hear no. You know, we live in a a culture, a world where it's like, you know what love is? Love equals yes. That's what it equals. It doesn't go any further. Just like, just say yes. Just affirm anything. Affirm anything that anyone wants to do or say or think or believe. And that equals love. I think praise God we have a heavenly father who will stand up to us and just say no. When we need to hear it. And our Heavenly Father, He's not rude. He's not a jerk. He's not a bully. But He says no. And there is life in His no. There is salvation in His no. There's blessing. There's wisdom in His no. And so when you have situations in your life, okay, maybe some of you are in situations right now. See, even as believers, and even when we have like good desires, good plans, good hopes, good dreams, good intentions, there are times when God in his wisdom and in his love, he tells you no. Or at the very least, not yet, not today. 
Maybe, you know, some of you have desires to provide for your kids in a certain way. Or maybe you have a desire to be married and you're still single. Or, or maybe you have desires to go overseas and, and, and plant a church among those who don't yet know Christ. And, and it feels like there is a no coming from your Heavenly Father. Or at least, at the very least, not today, not yet. And all I'm saying is this. Work hard to see the blessing of God's no. It is in his love that he tells us no. It is in his love that he tells us not yet. And not just in sin, but even in good desires, good hopes, good plans. See the blessing of God's no. And we see that through the son of the promise. Okay, point number two, the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the pieces of our text that deal with the sign of the covenant. And that's just the bookends of our text. Okay, that deals with circumcision. And then I'm going to point out three observations about circumcision, about the sign of the covenant. And then after that, just to close... What I'm going to do is I'm going to perform on stage a live circumcision. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I could, but I'm not going to. Um, no. Uh, then I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a line for us from circumcision to baptism. Okay? So I'm going to help us to see the relationship between the old covenant sign and the new covenant sign which is baptism. So we'll draw that line. We'll make our observations about baptism and see how those connect us back to circumcision and wrap up with a couple of practical applications. So let's get started here. Let's just read through our text as it pertains to the sign of the covenant. We start in verse 9. It says this. Remember, we're just going to cover the bookends of our text here. God also said to Abraham, As for you... You and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant, which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house and one purchased with money from any foreigner The one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house, as well as one purchased with money, must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Skip down to verse 23. Okay. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all the slaves born in his house were purchased with money, every male among them, the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, those slaves born in his house, and those purchased with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Okay, we're going to make three observations from the text about circumcision. 
But before we do that, I want to give you a definition for what circumcision is. And no, I'm not referring to the medical definition. Uh, I mean, as a sign of a covenant with God. What is circumcision? What, what is really a, a sign of any covenant with God? And circumcision is a sign that visibly marked a man as part of God's covenant community. Okay? Circumcision. It's a sign. If you want to add that word visibly, that's a helpful word. It is a sign that visibly marked a man as a part of God's covenant community. It marked him as God's people among God's people. And what we're going to do from the text is make three observations about that mark that placed, visibly placed people into God's old covenant community. And really what we're doing here, we're we're drilling down into some of the tension points. Okay, So, observation number one, circumcision isn't optional. It isn't optional. It's not a suggestion from God. It's also not like a status symbol, like you've achieved some superior standing as an Israelite, so now you get circumcised. Reflect like just the depth of seriousness. You don't achieve some high level of commitment. It's a command from God for all of his people to be marked as his people. Verse 9, you and our offspring after you throughout their generations, they are to keep my covenant, which is circumcision. Verse 10, every one of your males must be circumcised. Verse 11, you must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. Verse 13, it's the same thing. You must You must, you must. Circumcision is not optional. It is a mark of God's God's man in God's people that must be done. Number two, circumcision isn't salvific. It's not salvific. It did not produce salvation. That's what that means. Circumcision is not what produced salvation in the life and heart of a Jew. It just didn't. That that was not like the act of Abraham circumcising the flesh of the person is not what produced salvation in them. It's what marked them as God's people. It's not what made them God's people. Verse 11, it says, you must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. It's it's just a sign. It, It marks you as God's person, God's man. It does not make you God's person, God's man. So it visibly marks you into the covenant community. Now, understandably, there's been a little bit of confusion about this, I would say, and how circumcision plays into salvation specifically for the Jews. But I think Paul, he does a remarkable job of clearing up any confusion that might have existed about the relationship of circumcision to salvation. In the book of Romans, he also does this in the book of Galatians. But in Romans chapter 2, he says, A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. True circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly 
Circumcision is of the heart. By the spirit. Not the letter of the law. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. He says, true circumcision. In other words, circumcision that actually saves. Circumcision that produces the reality. Not the circumcision that communicates and corroborates the reality. Circumcision that actually saves. It is circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the heart. By the Spirit. Accomplished by God. It is a work of God. Salvation is always a work of God. Always has been, always will be. And this is the same thing God had actually declared all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, through Moses. It says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. And you will love Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you will live. So you'll actually have real life. That's the kind of circumcision that produces life. It's the circumcision of the heart that God performs. Circumcision of the flesh does not produce salvation. It is not salvific. It simply marks you as God's covenant person. In the Old Testament, God's covenant man. Simple way you can remember it is this. Okay, God circumcises hearts. People circumcise parts. Now, don't actually use that. People will look at you like you're crazy. Okay. The point is this. Circumcision isn't salvific. It doesn't produce salvation. And yet, observation number three, it is extremely consequential. Circumcision is consequential. Like, it has real consequences. You know, I don't know what it is about us. We, like, we get a little bit crazy in the arena of salvation in, in ways that we don't normally operate. But it's, like, it's almost like this. <clears throat> if you can't prove to me that, that something is salvific, if we're having a conversation, like a spiritual conversation, you're like, oh, that doesn't produce salvation. It's almost like what you're saying to me, oh, it's not really important. Or, oh, it has zero consequences. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Circumcision actually has extremely important consequences. Look at this, verse 14. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So circumcision of the flesh does not save you. Here's what it does. It separates you. Separates you. It's a huge deal. If you are not circumcised, you cannot be affirmed as a member of God's covenant community. Because you don't bear the mark of God's covenant people. That is the consequence of circumcision. It's a huge deal. Now, who here has ever heard the analogy of a wedding ring to baptism or to circumcision like as a symbol or a sign that marks us as something who's who's heard that analogy i literally just shared it like 12 minutes ago (laughs) okay a few of you great well should i circle back take it from the top no okay um but here's where that analogy of a wedding ring breaks down okay here here here's where all analogies break down somewhere here's where it breaks down with the wedding ring A wedding ring, it's a declaration for the whole world to see. It's for everybody to see. Do you know what's not for everybody to see? (laughs) Circumcision. But neither is baptism. 
Neither is baptism. Who, who is baptism and circumcision for? Like, who, for example, do we invite in to see baptisms? Now, now in one sense, like, is everybody welcome? Yeah. But is everybody coming? No. It's really for the church. It marks the person before God's covenant people that I too am part of God's covenant community. Same with circumcision. Okay, Abraham wasn't inviting everybody in the world to that party. But it was for God's covenant people to bear witness to one another and to be marked among his covenant people that you are in the covenant community. Circumcision, it marks us as God's covenant people to God's covenant people. And if we don't bear the mark of God's person, God's man, God's woman, then we are cut off from his covenant people. It has massive consequences. Now, all of that, I think, leads us naturally to this question. How does all of this apply to baptism and the believer in Christ and the new covenant? And that's what we're going to close with. We'll, we'll land the plane with a couple of quick applications. But how does all of this apply to baptism? And, and first, I just want to give you a good definition of baptism. Again, not like the physical action, but as a sign. It is this. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Visibly marking us into the redeemed church of God. Circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Circumcision visibly marked you into God's old covenant community. Baptism visibly marks you into God's new covenant community. The redeemed church of God. And just like circumcision, we're going to walk through our three observations here. Just like circumcision, baptism, it isn't optional. It is not optional. It's not a status symbol for super Christians. It doesn't say I've like achieved some particular level of maturity. It's a command from Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28 to his own disciples, he said, go therefore and make disciples, people who follow Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, which disciples are to be baptized? All of them. No exceptions. If someone's a disciple of Christ, they must be baptized. That's the direct command from Jesus. Baptism is not optional for the believer in Christ. Baptism, it, it, it marks people into the new covenant community, the family of God. And it is commanded by Jesus. It is not optional. Second, baptism isn't salvific. It does not save a person. It doesn't produce salvation in the heart of a human being. We cannot confuse this. There's no work that, that I can perform that has the power to produce salvation in the heart of a human being. The Lord's Supper doesn't save you. Baptism does not save you. Good works cannot save you. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved through the powerful work of God in our hearts. 
Paul is extremely clear on this. Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace through faith. It isn't from yourselves. It is God's gift. Jesus is remarkably clear. John 3, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed. The issue is faith. In the name of the one and only Son of God, it is by faith that we receive the gift of salvation. It is by faith that our hearts are transformed. Not through baptism. Baptism is not what saves us. And yet at the same time, we need to see this. Baptism is extremely consequential. It is incredibly important. If you are a believer in Christ and you have not yet been baptized as a believer in Christ, I want you to see this. Baptism doesn't save you, but here's what it does. It separates you. If you are not baptized, you cannot be affirmed in the new covenant community of God. If you are not baptized as a believer in Christ, you cannot be affirmed in the redeemed church of God because you don't bear the mark of God's covenant people. So you can't be affirmed in God's church. You cannot be added into membership in God's church. This is why in our membership statement, we are very clear. If you're not baptized as a believer in Christ then as pastors and as a church body, we cannot affirm you as fellow members of the new covenant community, of the church of God. We can't do that. Because the command of Christ is that you must be marked through baptism as his people. If you don't bear the mark of God's man, God's woman through baptism, then we can't Subvert Jesus' authority and affirm you as his covenant people. We can't do it. And that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal for a lot of reasons. But one important reason is this. And I want you to track with me on this. I want you to think through this with me. There is no category, biblically, for the person who is genuinely in Christ that isn't affirmed as a member of a church under the authority of real local pastors in covenant alongside real believers. Biblically speaking, I'm not saying that somebody can't be a Christian or can't be saved if they aren't a member of a church. But I am saying this. There isn't a biblical model to follow of a genuine believer in Christ who cannot be affirmed in the new covenant community of Christians under the authority of pastors in covenant with other believers. Okay, and when we talk about membership, when we talk about membership, we are not talking about joining a club. We're not talking about like like uh, picking one brand over a different brand. Membership, what membership is at the very heart of it is it's defining the relationship between believers and one another and believers and their pastors. And saying, hey, you know, we're, we're actually, we're putting on paper 
what we affirm with our lips, because we're, we're, we're not really an oral society, we're a written society. We put things on, when we mean it, we put things on paper, we sign sheets of paper, that's like what we do. And what we're saying in membership is we're covenanting with one another the exact same way that believers in the scriptures covenant with one another. And we're defining the relationship the exact same way that, that believers in the scriptures define the relationship underneath their pastors. We're stepping into that voluntarily. Okay? We're making it clear. And that is how believers in the scriptures always walk in covenant relationship with other believers under the authority of actual elders. And so it's a really big deal if you are a believer in Christ and as a church community or as pastors, we can't affirm you in the covenant community because up to this point you have refused to be marked with the sign of the covenant. Baptism is a huge deal. So too is church membership. Okay? And the biblical witness is that believers, they're marked through baptism as God's people, and then they are actually formally added to the church, to the covenant community under the authority of God's under-shepherds. And this is the way that we like walk under God's authority in real life. This is the way that God protects us from false conversion. This is the way that God protects us from false doctrines. This is the way that God positions us to deal with sin in our lives. It is by being marked as his people and then walking in covenant amongst his covenant community. And I know there's a lot that we're not even touching on today in terms of baptism, different baptism practices people have, questions you might have about either baptism or membership. And we would be excited to get into all of those questions. I know I would love to sit down, grab a cup of coffee with you if you have questions. Part of our membership class is really just to provide a platform to address a lot of those questions. But if I don't wrap up soon, I think uh, some of y'all are going to start throwing tomatoes at me. So we've got to land the plane. I want to close today with just a couple of practical points of application. Okay. Number one is this. If you're a believer in Christ and you are not yet baptized, you need to get baptized. You do. That's not me telling you that. That is Jesus. That's, so if you have beef with that, that, that's beef you need to take up with Jesus. That's his command. If you're a believer in Christ and you have not yet been baptized as a believer, you need to be baptized as a believer. Okay? And I want to be clear here. I am not talking about being uh, sprinkled as a baby. We would tell you, you need to be baptized as a believer in faith in response to the command of Christ. Okay? Again, it doesn't save you, but it's not optional. And, and as a practice here, we take the last Sunday of every month and we create space in our service for baptisms. So the last Sunday of June is coming up here. Uh, pretty soon, and if you want to get baptized, then it doesn't have to be June. It could be July. Last Sunday of July is right around the corner as well. But if you've not yet been baptized, here's what you need to do. 
have a conversation with one of our pastors here. Steve is the pastor who primarily oversees baptisms. If you know Pastor Steve, connect with Pastor Steve. And he will sit down and have a very helpful conversation with you. He can answer questions. We, we want to have that conversation in part to make sure you understand the gospel. To make sure you've really received Christ through the message of the gospel and understood the gospel. We want to have that conversation to make sure you understand baptism, what it is, what it isn't. Okay? But we want to work with you in order to actually follow through as a step of obedience to be baptized in Christ. And if you are not yet baptized, I encourage you, have that conversation. I know that's a tough step. That's a little bit scary. It's a little bit of an intimidating process, especially if maybe you're newer here and you're like, well, I'm convicted. I do need to get baptized. I don't really know any pastors. I know that's a scary step, but we want you to take that step of faith. Okay? Reach out. Have a conversation with one of our pastors, get the ball rolling, and get baptized, okay? Second application is this. Go through the church membership process. Go through the church membership class. Go through it. Like, I I scratched the surface on a number of really big issues related to baptism and membership today. That class is going to give you an opportunity to kind of dive headlong into all those same issues, And I just want to say this. Some of you, you're already members. And that is great. And and this application doesn't really perhaps apply to you. Although I would just say, renew your conviction of the importance of membership. It's an important piece. Some of you, you think that you are members. Uh, However, maybe you're like, I think, I'm pretty sure. I've been here a long time. I think I'm a member. Did I take a class? Did I ever see a membership covenant? Did I ever sign anything? I would just say this. If there's even a hint of doubt in your mind, ask. Pastor Cole is the one who primarily oversees our membership process. But you can ask any of our pastors. But, but seriously, ask. It is much more than just like a clerical thing. It's not just an administrative thing. To us as pastors, I would just tell you this is a very big deal to us. Because it is the way that we define the relationship in a way that helps instruct and inform. What is our biblical responsibility to people look like? Well, like, do you know how many people have expectations of me as a pastor? And they think I am their pastor. And I think, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I would love to know. And I would love to exercise that pastoral responsibility that God's word clearly hangs upon us as pastors. However, it's very helpful to take the step to actually define the relationship. So if you're unsure, ask. There are some of you who are thinking, membership, membership. I've been here a long time. I know that I haven't really gone through the process, but I reject categorically the process of like that type of covenant membership. I'm just like, of course, this is my church. Of course, these are my people. Of course, you're my pastor. What I would say is this. I disagree with you, and I would love to get a cup of coffee with you. In love, I disagree with you. I would love to get a cup of coffee with you. And I would love to hear why you reject it. And I would love for you to be willing to hear a case for biblical covenant membership. Okay? And some of you are like, what's membership? What are we talking about? Uh, And you're... we would love for you to go through the membership class to find out more about it. What does it mean to be a member of the church and to walk through that process? So baptism, it's very important. It marks you as part of God's covenant community. And membership is the way that we actually define that relationship 
and, and place each other in the local expression of God's covenant community. Under his local under shepherds in covenant relationship with one another where we can actually walk in that together and live that out. And so uh, here's my suggestion for you. Uh, go through the membership class if you haven't or if you don't remember if you have. And you can sign up for that membership class online. It's very easy to do. We've got a couple of membership classes coming up, one in July and then one in October. If you jump onto the church website, you'll be able to find it relatively easily, I trust. Um, But we would love for you to walk in that. So be baptized. Walk in membership. Go through the process to actually walk in church membership. It is so important in the Christian life. And if you're still confused about it, you have a lot of questions, again, I would just invite you. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's sit down. Let's talk through it. Okay? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you, God, that even in these conversations about things like baptism, membership, walking as a part of your covenant community, God, we, we praise you that our salvation is secure in Christ and Christ alone and in the work that you do. God, we we confess that the scriptures testify with great clarity. Salvation is the work of God in the heart of human beings. And we pray, Lord, I pray that every single person here, Lord, they would be clear about the gospel, that they would be in Christ. God, that the hearts would be circumcised, that, that our souls, God, would be in you, that we would have life in the Spirit, Lord, and then help us as a church body to, by faith, step into your covenant community, God, that we would be baptized, that we would bear the mark of God's people among God's people, and that we would walk in the covenant relationship that you desire for us to walk in, God, at the local level with one another, Lord. And we pray it all 